That word hallelujah, if you don't know, literally translated means praise Yahweh. But the, the crazy thing is, is in most languages, maybe all languages from my understanding, in the world, hallelujah is just, so if you're ever in a foreign church and you don't know what else to say, say hallelujah, because they'll all know. And it's just the word that really needs no translation. But sometimes I think we forget it means praise ye the Lord. If you forget, just think of the little song you used to sing in children's church, praise ye the Lord. Crazy. Did you know that that was why? Because it's the same thing. You're just saying the same thing, one in English, one in Hebrew. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. But it means to give joyous praise to God is literally the translation. But in Hebrew, everything is joyous or at least very emotional. And so, but um, to boast in him. So, praise ye the Lord. If you've got your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Next week, we're going to pick up the series that we were in uh, before Advent, and uh, we're going to finish the Put Away the Toy series that comes from the Psalms of Ascent. And so we'll go back to that starting next week, but Advent is officially over. Uh, Christmas is not. Today is the 10th day of Christmas, and uh, in the literal celebration of it, Epiphany coming up uh, this week, which is the celebration of the coming of the wise men, and not just the coming of the wise men, but Epiphany is significant because It's a reminder to us that Jesus did not just come for the house of Israel. He came for us, for the Gentiles. And the only reason you and I are here today is because that promise extended to us and not just to the Jews. And so that's what the church celebrated in the the Feast of Epiphany that takes place this week. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are setting aside time uh, in this week of prayer for praying specifically for ourselves, for our church, for this coming year, for what God has in store. And this year, the theme of that for the prayer focus is believe for greater things. Um, In my years here, this is probably the least planned that we've had for the week of prayer. Normally, we pray every day or there's some sort of fasting involved. And uh, this this week, we're praying tonight and we're praying Wednesday night and that's it. Uh, I hope you will choose to pray more often than that. Uh, I hope that you'll choose to fast at some point during this week and uh, to pray. But as far as corporately, that's all that we've got set aside for this week. And uh, as we look at this theme of believe for greater things, I was going to preach from the key verse, John 14, 12, that I read earlier, but I felt like the Lord wanted us to go to 1 Peter 4 instead. And this idea of believe for greater things, that word believe for us in English um, kind of ruins us biblically for belief. In English, this word believe means agree with or, you know, have a a mental assent to this is true. So if I say I believe you, what I'm saying is I agree that what you're saying is accurate or true or I put confidence in that. Um, But it doesn't carry any type of action. Believe in Scripture always carries action. Believe doesn't just mean to mentally agree that God so loved the world, but it means to act on God so loved the world. God so loved the world, I believe that in my brain, and so because of that, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I receive his sacrifice for my forgiveness of my sins, and then I'm saved. I mean, if I just sit here today and say, yeah, I believe Jesus died on a cross for my sins, I'm not saved. It's not believing that saves us, at least in our English sense. It's believing in our brains, but then the action of confessing with our mouth, then we are saved. And so faith always has 
an element of action to it. Believe always has an element of action to it in the scripture. And so we have to make sure that we understand this idea that believe carries with it corresponding behavior. So when we're believing for greater things, it's not just what do we think in our heads is possible, but now because of what we think is in our heads is possible because of what he's told us in his word, what do I do as a result of that? How do I act now? What should I think now? What should I say now? How should I behave now? Does that make sense? Hopefully you'll get it as we, uh, we'll expand on it a little bit more as we go. But 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm just going to read four verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew there in front of you from 1 Peter chapter 4. That's a New Living Translation. I'm going to read from the NIV today. I'm going to break with tradition the first day out of the new year and uh, read from the non-inspired version. Just kidding. The NIV is not the non-inspired version. They're all different, and they all have flaws. Whichever your favorite is, is flawed like all the rest of them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's just they all try their best to take another language and make it make sense in English. And so they all say it a little differently, but they're all saying the same thing. The Hebrew and the Greek language is so much more full than our weak English language. And so they say things with such uh, intensity and verbiage that it's so hard for us to translate. And that's why sometimes it looks like one translation is different than the other. And why is that? That's why. Because there's so much in that passage that the English writers are trying to make sense of and apply to us that they kind of disagree on how to do that. But read through different translations and you'll get a fuller sense of what the scripture is actually saying. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you'd breathe on the word, that we would be able to hear it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter begins this passage, this section of his letter to the churches that he's writing to with the idea or the phrase, the end of all things is near. Literally, he's saying the end of all things is drawing near. Now, you and I have heard all of our lives that the end is near. When I was a kid in 1988, I heard the book. I had a copy of the book, 88 Reasons that Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Obviously, we know he was off by a few. uh, But the next year, then he wrote a book, 89 Reasons the Lord is Coming Back in 1989. Well, we know he missed that one too. So we could probably write a book of... 15 reasons he's coming back in 2015 that'd be easier but the the, 2016 now already a whole year ahead but we don't know the day or the hour the bible says we're going to know the season but we don't know the specific day or the hour only the father in heaven knows that but what we do know is the end is drawing near that his return is nearer than it ever has been before paul writing to the roman church says this the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He says it's already past time to be awake because salvation, the day when the Lord is coming back, that's what it's referred to in Scripture as day. Right now we live in the night. We live in a time when it's harder to see. When we see, but we see dimly because the light isn't shining as brightly as it will on the day when Jesus returns because when he shines that day, when he returns, every eye will see him in that day. And so... That day is coming. He's telling us, prepare for it. It's nearer than ever. Put away the deeds of darkness. Put away the deeds of this life and put on the deeds of light. Prepare yourself for his return. But as his return starts getting nearer, the Bible also warns us that people are going to look at that and say, no, he's been saying this for years. I don't know if he's coming back. Peter in his letter continues and says in chapter 3, actually before chapter 4, or Second Peter chapter 3, excuse me, above all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Remember that. They're scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the Lord puts off his return, waiting for others to come to repentance. But his return is coming. And as it gets closer, the temptation will be to scoff at it. Well, you may not scoff with your mouth, okay? It may not be a, I don't believe he's coming back, but what, the way we live our lives will scoff that he's coming back. Hear those words. That's a strong warning to the church. In the last days, scoffers will come. You may not scoff with your mouth, but if we are following our own evil desires and not putting away the deeds of darkness and putting on the deeds of light, and we are not preparing ourselves for his return, we do not believe he's coming. Oh, I, I believe he's coming, okay? But if we really believe he's coming, we'll be putting off the deeds of darkness and putting on the deeds of light. It'll have a corresponding action in our lives. Does that make sense? We will be preparing ourselves for his return. So Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 4 says, the end of all things is near. And then he gives us a two-part command with what to do with that because he says the word therefore. So whenever someone says a, a statement and then they say therefore, so in, in light of the fact that he's coming, do these two things. And he gives us two commands. We know these are commands because in the Greek language, they're what's called an imperative. And an imperative means a strong command. He says, be alert and be of sober mind. Now, these words, this is, they're, they're very similar words in the Greek language, but this is what they mean. Be soberly wise soberly wise in other words to think and live wisely in self-control over one's passions and desires not like the scoffers who live according to their own desires we need to be soberly wise in control of our passions and desires not just following them 
We need to act with sound judgment. We need to be serious. We need to be alert. We need to be sober. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% accurate, Jesus Christ was coming back at 3 o'clock this afternoon, would you live differently than you have lived the last two days? Peter's saying, live like he could come back. There needs to be a soberness, an alertness to how we live our lives. That doesn't mean we can't have any fun, but it means in your fun, keep in mind, he's coming. He's coming. The second word, which is very similar, is to be self-controlled, literally meaning to sober up. To come from the drunken state, the deed of darkness state, into the light, to be disciplined, to be self-controlled to restrain or curb the influence of inordinate emotions or desires. These two words talk a lot about our passions and desires and emotions and being in control of them. We can be in control of them because of Christ and what he's done. We can be in control of them because of the spirit who lives within us. I do not have to follow how I feel emotionally. My actions don't have to do that. I don't worship when I feel like it. I don't obey when I feel like it. I do it because it's true no matter how I feel. That's belief. He says be alert, be self-controlled, be disciplined, whatever your translation is or how he, he says it, especially in light of the end drawing near. Now, All of us would probably agree if the end of the world, if the end of all things is drawing near, then these are good things. We should be soberly wise. We should be self-controlled. We should be preparing to meet our maker if this is the case. But the interesting thing is, Peter tells us why we should do these things. We should be soberly wise and we should be self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. Why would he say that? Because everything starts and hinges on prayer. Our flesh never really wants to pray. If you follow the emotions and desires of your flesh, you will not pray often or much. You will pray when you're in pain. You will pray when your back's against the wall. But you will not pray when you don't feel like praying. And the only time you will feel like praying, fleshly, is when you're in pain. That's the only time. The American church will do everything but pray. If we have special services, this is the American church as a whole. This is who we are as as an American society. If we have special services, we'll get people to come. We bring in a brand name speaker, people will come. We have a Bible study, people will come. We have a a wee bowling night, people will come. When we have prayer, not so much. That's the, the, the epidemic around our nation today. Prayer is the least important thing. Because here's what we say, I could pray at home, which is absolutely true, but the scripture says pray together. Because you, you can pray for me at home, and I can, I can be like the missionaries and say, oh, I feel your prayers. But there's something when we hear each other pray that binds us together. 
This isn't just for our church. This is for our families. This is for our our marriages. This is for our lives. Praying together is very important. In fact, it's very vital. And we all think maybe we pray, but in reality, I don't know that we've caught a hold of this yet. It's so important to understand we need to pray. We need to exercise self-control over our fleshly desires and pray. Individually and corporately, we need to do it. Oftentimes I hear the phrase, well, we can't just pray. And people who say we can't just pray don't understand prayer. Prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is the ignition point for my faith and obedience, and it is the fuel that keeps my faith and obedience. It starts me off, and it keeps me going. And if I lack prayer, what I'm doing is my best effort. That's it. If I, if I am not praying, I'm doing my best But prayer is a posture of humility. Prayer is when we say, God, I recognize that there's a a part of me that I need to act out. There's some obedience that needs to come. But I don't have a chance without you. I I can't understand your word without you. I mean, I can read the Bible and I can study it and I can get some insights and helps for my life. And I can, but it's my best effort. And if I'm not connected to him in prayer, it's my best. I can serve people. I can say, okay, I know I took a study. I know what my gifts are. I know how I fit. I'll just serve in the church. But it's our best effort apart from prayer. Prayer starts us and prayer keeps us going. Our flesh might lead us into religion, but it'll never lead us into an intimate connection with God. The Spirit of God leads us into an intimate connection with the Spirit of God. We pray together, we pray individually, because we cannot do this in our own strength. And there are going to be excuses for why we can't pray. Now, I'm not talking about how much time you pray, okay? Throw the idea of quantity out out the window right now. How much time do I need to spend in prayer? What we need to do is make sure that prayer is a priority in our lives, And as we make it a priority, as we make it the first thing we turn to, before we pick up the cell phone and call someone and say, hey, what do you think about this? We pick up uh, the Holy Spirit phone and say, hey, God, what do you think about this? When we start connecting this way and we make prayer a priority, quality-wise, quantity will take care of itself. But until we make it a quality thing, where this is my, my first instinct is to pray. When someone comes to you and says, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this, our first response should not be our, here, here, let me give you wisdom. Our first response should be, let's pray right now about this together. And then after we pray, if the same wisdom that's in my head is still there, I'll share it with you. But if it's gone, then it was probably me. Prayer. Peter says you got to be in control of your emotions and your desires because you know what? You're not going to want to pray. You're not going to want to attend a prayer service. The the last thing your flesh is going to want to do on a Tuesday night is come and pray here. I told our prayer team this week as we were meeting over here for prayer on Tuesday night, I said, in a way I'm blessed because as pastor, I have to come. I mean, once I put it on the schedule, there's no calling in and saying, hey, Pastor John, would you run prayer service tonight? Because 
I just don't feel like coming. And so I'm kind of forced to be here. And so there are days when I'm thinking, why did I put this on the schedule? And then when we're done, I'm like, I know why I put that on the schedule. I'm so glad that I, I have the accountability of having to come and pray. Now, here's the thing. I control the schedule. I could just stop putting it on there. But the thing I know is this is the most important thing we do. And if this is not the priority in our individual and corporate lives, nothing else is going to matter. Because out of this prayer, out of prayer, he tells us what happens. Above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. As we make individual and corporate prayer a priority in our lives, love, agape from God, will flow out of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Think about that for a second. If you could speak every known language on the planet, how much could you get done sharing the gospel? I mean, you could speak to anybody in any language, any time. And you could speak in heavenly languages. Every language, on our, supernaturally, physically, but it, without agape, you'd just be a noisy gong. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move a mountain but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. Now, pause for a second again and think about that one. If we knew all of God's secret plans and we could just tell you what's going to happen before it happens and we had all knowledge and we could tie together every loose end and string and we could go out here and we could say to a hill, we don't really have a mountain, but uh, we'll go to a big hill and we, we say, be gone, and it would become flat. You would think that revival would happen, wouldn't you? But without agape, it would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor, everything, everything I possessed, I barely have a house to live in, I ride my bike everywhere, I, I, be, I got nothing, I give everything. And I sacrificed my body. In other words, if I was martyred for my faith, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. When Peter says, continue to show love for one another, he says, some translations say deep love. It means to show marked, constant, persistent care for one another. Can I tell you, that is impossible without prayer. There is no chance any of us in this room have of showing constant, marked, persistent care for one another without a connection to our Father. We'll be able to do it for a while. And if you're gifted in, in gifts of hospitality or you're gifted in, in certain service and love gifts, if that's your natural bent, you'll be able to do it for a while. But there will come a moment where you won't be able to do it apart from the strength he provides. You can give everything to the poor. You can have your body be sacrificed and have it not be out of agape love. You understand this? If we're not connected to God in prayer, our motives for showing love to one another could be very self-serving. It's only through our prayer that we can above all love each other deeply. 
If we're not praying together, we will not be loving each other deeply. That seems to be what Peter's saying, at least as I see it. What we'll do is we'll love each other pretty well, but the moment disagreement comes or the moment a problem comes, boom. This should scare us as husbands and wives. Because if we're not praying together, the moment there's a problem or a disagreement, that love is going to be broken. Because if it's our best effort, we're going to fail. It's so important that we pray together as a body, as spouses, as families. So important that we pray together. Otherwise, the love won't last. That's the difference between loving each other with our best effort and loving each other with the love he provides. The love he provides can stay together even when we are having a difficult time together. That's agape love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, Paul says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. That's not possible unless it's imparted from our Father. As human beings, we do not bear with everything and anything that comes. We are not ready to believe the best in every person. We're ready to believe the worst. We're ready to believe what we've seen them do in the past. We're not ready to believe the best. That only comes from agape love that comes from him. Why do churches split over carpet color? They literally do. Churches split over whether to have chairs or pews in their sanctuary. I sincerely doubt that those people are praying for each other and praying with each other. I doubt it. And Peter says in the last days, it's going to be so crucial that you get this and you do this. Because the only way to love each other deeply is to, to pray together. If we would spend more time meditating on people's good qualities and not their faults, and genuinely praying for another's good, it'd be hard to get bitter. Jesus taught us this in Luke chapter 6, but I say to you who are willing to listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. I don't think Jesus is meaning pray that the Lord gets them for hurting you. I think he's modeling it for us when he's on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Lest you think that that's only possible if you're the son of God, Stephen, thankfully, as he was being martyred and stoned, said, do not hold this against them. And here's the thing. We get the privilege of knowing Stephen was 100% right and the people stoning him were wrong. And even in that moment, the grace of God on Stephen's life caused him to say, don't hold this against them. That's agape love. Now, Peter goes on to tell us how this agape love works itself out. Because agape love is not feeling. You don't have to feel anything toward anybody. I mean, you don't have to have warm emotions or fuzzies or anything. So for those of you that are like German and you don't get a warm fuzzy ever, that, there you go, you're blessed because you don't need warm fuzzies. Because agape love is not about warm feelings at all. 
In fact, you can have no emotion whatsoever and agape someone. You can love them because you're acting in their best interest. You're not being selfish. You're doing what's best for them. You're doing what's helpful for them. See, there was a time when I was in Bible school, we had a professor. I won't tell you his name because maybe he'll listen to this on our podcast and I don't want to embarrass him. But uh, he was teaching at 7.30 in the morning and standing in the front of the class just like this. And uh, we were, he was going along and who listens at 7.30? And uh, all of a sudden we started to realize his fly was down. And, uh, you know, we're chuckling and, and everyone's awake now. 7.30 in the morning, we're all, hey, his fly's down. And a kid in the front row just went like this. He called on him. He's like, yep. He's like, your fly's down. He zipped up his pants and just kept going. Said, thank you. And just kept going. Didn't get red, didn't get embarrassed, nothing. He didn't even miss a beat. Now, who acted in his best interest? The kid in the front row who raised his hand and maybe caused a moment of embarrassment for him. Not us in the back who were making fun of him and laughing. His fly's down. But how many of us wanted to be that kid that raised his hand and said, your fly's down? None except that kid, because everyone else in the room knew it. That's the type of love that Peter's calling for. The kind of love that's going to be for someone else's best interest, not something that's going to be at someone else's expense. He says, show it by your hospitality. And offer hospitality without grumbling. Now, this is an interesting thing for us, because for us, we think hospitality is having someone over for a meal. We think hospitality is having a potluck. We think hospitality is going out to La Hacienda together and then paying for someone else their lunch. And that's a benefit of, that's a a part of uh, hospitality, but that's not what's talking about here. Hospitality was you see someone in need, you bring them into your home, mikasa, sukasa. How many of you, when you have people over to your house, you bring them into your house and you, you close some doors? meaning that door's off limit because we didn't get that room clean and we don't want you to see it. Or, you know, it's our bedroom and that's private. We don't want you in there. So we'll leave the doors open that, you want, that we want you in, but the ones that we close don't go in there. See, hospitality is you come in my house and you go anywhere you want. You touch anything you want. Everything I own is yours. That's hospitality. How many of us are ready for that? And not just that, but it means an opening of our lives to people. Meaning, I'm going to share my dreams and my fears and my hurts with you. Now, I'm not saying that the the day we meet each other, we have to spill everything. No, it takes time to build relationship. But we need to be opening our lives up to one another more and more. I love Sandy's prayer what she's believing God for in 2016, this is exactly what she said, that we would start opening our lives up more and more to one another. That's hospitality. And we're to do it without grumbling. I'm opening my life up to them, but I don't really want to. Do it without grumbling. Now, here's the thing. We can't do this if we're not praying for each other and with each other. It's not going to happen. We'll be able to do it some, but we'll be just like you and me, inviting people into our homes, but keeping some doors closed. And not just some doors closed for a little bit, but some doors closed perpetually. That can't happen, especially as we see the day approaching. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. 
Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Open up your home, your life to people. The second thing he says, not only should we open up our lives to each other, but we should use whatever gift we've received to serve others. Now, again, he doesn't say that if you have. He says every gift, every one of us has a gift. And each of us has some type of talent or skill or supernatural manifestation of the Spirit. And there are lists throughout scriptures. Romans 12 has one. 1 Corinthians 12 has one. 1 Peter has one here. There are gifts of prophecy and serving and giving and helping and teaching and leading and practical gifts and all kinds of gifts. Now, some people have the gift of hospitality, but all of us are called to be hospitable. Some people just do it well. And those who have that gift help those of us in the body that don't do it better. Everyone use your gift to serve others. The gifts that we have received are not meant to be hoarded in our lives. Every gift that we have, we're supposed to use to serve others. If I don't discover my gift and, and use it in the body of Christ, I am depriving them of a gift God has for them. Think about that for just a second. The Bible says you are a gift to this body. The talents and the abilities that you have, God has brought us here together. It says it right here. We all have many parts, our bodies, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We're all in parts of one body. We all belong to each other. Who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus. No, we belong to each other. That's a scary thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. Ephesians 4 says that our body is only healthy and growing and full of love as each part does its own special work. So if you're sitting here today not using the gift that God has given you to serve this body, you are holding back a gift God has for us. I know that sounds terrible when you say it out loud. But it's true. That's what the word says. Now, some of us don't use our gifts because we have all kinds of issues in our lives and we don't feel we're, we measure up, we're not good enough, I don't have anything to offer, I'm afraid. All kinds of excuses and reasons. But whatever they are, they're all excuses and reasons. And the focus should never be on us anyway, it should be on him. And he has qualified me, he's given me the gift, and I need to use it to serve the body. Okay? Not use it to serve myself, use it to serve the body. Because we can use our gifts to serve ourselves. And here's the thing, if you genuinely use your gift to serve the body, you do benefit from it. I mean, you do feel good, it does something for you, it builds your, your, your spirit man and all these things. That's absolutely true, I believe it 100%. But I've also seen in churches where people come in and because their gift isn't recognized, they go somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere else where my gift is recognized. Was your gift for you or is your gift for the body? And if you're in the body that the Lord has called you to, find a way to use your gift to serve the body. If I'm a children's pastor, thank the Lord he hasn't called me to be a children's pastor. Those people have special gifts. They do, really. And I develop my skill in puppet ministry and children's illustrations, and communicating to children. 
Because even when I teach children's church, I realize that they, the illustrations I use for them have to be different than you guys. Because sometimes they look at you like, huh? I would practice up on my, my uh, not magic tricks, illusions. You don't want to say magic. My illusions. And I would practice all that because I want to be a good children's pastor. But if I fail as a children's pastor to teach those children that they're not just a separate children's church, but they're a part of our body. And I don't teach them that what they do affects our body, then I'm not really using my gift to serve the body. I'm using my gift to serve myself. If I don't teach children that, guys, we don't run in the foyers out here because in our church, we're part of a bigger body. And there are some older people that maybe don't get around as well as you do. And if you run into them, you could cause them some pain. So as a children's pastor and as a parent, it's my job to teach my children that church isn't just about you. That you've got to look at how what you're doing affects others in the body. So I can either use my gift to serve myself or use my gift to serve others. If I don't teach those children that when we're in big church, you can sing the songs even if there aren't motions and funny noises that we make. I mean, we could say, children, well, okay, you don't need to sing these songs because they don't, you know, there's no funny, funny motions to them. Well, here's a funny motion to all of them. I surrender. And so as a children's pastor, I wouldn't want to just teach my children. I would want to plug them into the body as a whole. And I've seen both in our lives. I've seen those who use their gifts to serve others and those who use their gifts to serve themselves. I'm sure in my life I've been guilty of using my gifts to serve myself. I'm positive. How do I know? Because I'm a human being. And if you're sitting here today thinking you've never used your gift to serve yourself, let's be real. We all have selfish tendencies. And God isn't just pushing us aside and saying, because you were selfish once, you're done. He's saying, let's do this. This is what I've created you to do. Don't be afraid to use the gift I've given you to serve others. But that's only going to happen as we take time to pray for each other and pray with each other. See, believing God for greater things is not just believing what's possible in our heads, but it's starting to act on it. If we believe that God has greater things in store for us, we are going to start praying for each other and with each other like never before. We're going to exercise self-control over our desires and over our passions. We're going to learn to recognize the excuses that come for not praying more, and we're going to overcome them. Because out of that prayer and out of that seeking the Lord and out of that connection together is going to come a consistent, persistent love for one another. That's going to require hospitality. We're going to have to open ourselves up to each other more and more. We're going to have to get to know one another more and more. Let me, let me challenge you with this. Write this down. How many people in our church do I not know their name? Don't look around right now. Go through your directory. And if you can't put a face with a name in that directory, that's on you. I mean, you can put it on us as leaders if you want, but at the end of the day, you got to take the step. I mean, you can blame them and say, well, that person's probably not friendly. That person probably doesn't come very often. That person, no, if you really wanted to connect with them, you would. That's a great challenge to us, to just start connecting with people and getting to know them and making notes. 
I know it's weird when you're sitting down talking to them to make notes, so don't do it then. It just looks weird. But make notes of what people are going through and who they are and how to help them, how you can open your life up to them. Find your gift. Know it. Develop it. Use it within the context of the body. Use it for the benefit of others. So this week, as we go through this week of prayer, my prayer is that we pray for and with each other more than we ever have before. Use your directory as a prayer tool for this week and pray God's blessing over our families. And so today, as we end this service, I want us to pray for each other. I want us to take a moment and I want a few of you to pray for our church. I didn't want it to be um, our, our paid staff. I told Pastor John, you know, if we don't get enough, you, be, you pray too. But can we get three or four people that would say, you know what, I'll pray for the church. I want to pray for them. And so let's all stand together so that we're all ready to pray because you can't pray from a seated position. I'm just kidding. If you need to stay seated because of health reasons, stay seated. But if you can stand, let's stand. And I want three or four volunteers that would say, I will pray for this body of believers. Come, come. Don't raise your hand. Just come. Just move. Move, sister. I did have one volunteer, but she was sick in the night, so she couldn't come. I got two. I got three. You're going to say, um, thanks, Ken, for being the male representative. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> All we're going to do is pray. We're going to let the Holy Spirit direct them and guide them. Pray with them as we, we begin this week of prayer together. And uh, let's just ask God to do great things in our church. Father God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be filled with your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would flow in us and through us, Lord. Jesus, that we would be your representatives on this earth together. Father's believers, help us to embrace one another, uh, warts and all, Father God, and just love one another deeply from the heart, Lord Jesus. And Father God, I just, um, I pray that I would be a servant, Lord Jesus, that I would uh, love people, Father God, and, and be your hand extended, Lord. And I pray that for everyone here, Lord Jesus. And I pray help us to put away uh, grumbling and complaining, Father God, that I would put that away, Lord Jesus, that I would put away just any negative speech, Lord Jesus, and that I would speak only that which is good to the use of edifying, Father God, that would build up the hearers. And I pray that also for this body, Lord, that, and that we would be a group, Lord Jesus, of one. And uh, Father God, that we would serve zealously, Lord Jesus. And we love you and we praise you, God. We, we just think you're just wonderful. Dear God, thank you for making a body with many parts. And in order for a body with many parts to grow, every part has to grow. So help each and every one of us to learn how to grow in you and how to grow together. Thank you, God. Heavenly Father, this is your body, Lord Jesus. And I just pray right now that you would give me the prayer, that you would pray for your body. Father, I pray that you would lift us up, God. First of all, we swing wide our heart's door, God, and we invite your presence into this body, God. 
we need you, Lord Jesus. Without you, we are nothing, God. And we waste our time just coming here, Father, if you are not the head of this group. So, Lord, we open up our hearts and our spirits to you, God, and we ask that you would show us and teach us. Correct us, Lord God, if we need correction, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us, Lord God, and most of all, bring a spirit of unity into this body, God, a spirit of love, as Pastor has talked about this morning, God, where we forget our own needs and desires, God, and we reach out to one another, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would strengthen our relationships, uh, tear down the walls of intimidation that makes us afraid to get to know one another. And so I pray that you would just bring a unity of love between all of us, God. Strengthen us. Uh, give us wisdom in the year ahead, God. Um, give us your direction and your paths that you would have us to go. And help us to walk in your wisdom, God, in all the days of our life. And we just glorify you in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you for this body. Father, I thank you that we truly are a family. God, I thank you for your protection over our family. Father, I pray that this new year, um, God, I pray that you will move in our body, that you will help us to grow deeper, to be more connected with each other and with you. Father, I pray that you will move on our hearts and in our minds when someone in our body is hurting, that you will give us words of encouragement, words of knowledge. Um, help us to be your hands and feet to our body to minister to those we sit next to or sit across the room from on, on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. Father, I pray that you will enliven, just liven up in our hearts, Father God, the passion that you have for us, that, that as we go into our community, that we will be recognized as a body of believers who love you. And that we'll be welcoming, we will be loving um, people who stand for righteousness. God, I pray for our leaders, um, for Pastor John, Pastor Tom, our staff. Father, I pray that you'll strengthen them and that you'll help us as a body to strengthen them, to lift them up and their families. God, thank you. God, we give you this year. Show us what you want us to do in this body and help us to do it and be obedient. And we love you. Lord, I lift up the, the men of this body. Lord God, I just I pray for the men in 2016, Lord, that you would help us to connect and to build each other up, Lord God. As iron sharpens iron, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to grow, to be better men of God, to be better fathers, uh, and better just connected to you, Lord God. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to hold each other accountable, Lord, that you would uh, just help us to be a foundation, Lord God, for our families and for this body. And I just pray that, um, that you would do that in 2016. In your name, Jesus. 
Father, I thank you that you've fitted this body together perfectly as you see fit. We recognize that in the past, God, we have not been consistent and faithful, and we have not been as obedient to you as we should have been. God, that we have done things incorrectly and we have not done them well. But God, we have done things right and we have done things good and we have uh, tried our hardest to serve you and to serve one another. But God, we recognize today that we can't just do this in our own strength. And so God, we repent of trying to do it in our own strength. We repent of the mistakes that we've made in the past of, of trying to do it in our own strength. And Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would help us to be more connected, not only to you, but in you together. God, that you would continue to give us that deep love that we have for one another. Help us to understand the priority of praying for one another and praying for, praying with one another. God, help us to make that a priority in our lives. I pray that this would not just be in our church body, but God, that this would affect every part of our lives. God, that this would affect our homes, that it would affect our marriages, that it would affect, God, uh, the people we work with. God, that we would find ourselves being united together more and more in and through prayer. God, help us to pray for our enemies. Help us to bless those who curse us. Help us to pray for those who hurt us. God, help us to open our lives up to one another more and more. Teach us to be hospitable. God, help us not to be satisfied with surface relationships and just inviting people into certain areas of our lives. But help that to continue to go deeper. God, help us to be wise. God, we know that you haven't called us to just reveal everything to everybody that we've ever met. Help us to be wise. Help us not to be overcome with guilt and condemnation that we don't pray enough or when we really have an excuse for not praying. God, help us not to allow the enemy to use that to condemn. Help us to recognize God, the excuses in our lives that need to be overcome and the responsibilities in our lives that are genuine. Father, teach us the difference. Give us divine wisdom in those areas. So God, I pray your blessing on this church and this year ahead. God, we pray a dangerous prayer today. Have your way. Have your way. Help us to be a people that seek you. And then when we hear you, we just obey. God, just respond to you. Surrender everything to you in every way. Holy Spirit, continue to guide us, strengthen us, help us in this process, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to take more time and spend some time in prayer, uh, we're going to allow you to do that. If you want to be dismissed, uh, please do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to continue to pray. Uh, don't forget prayer service tonight at six o'clock. God bless you as you go.